So before I read the text today, I want, as we read this text and as you listen to this text, to be considering the promise that's resting behind these words. We talked about this promise last week, and I know, I I even hate to say this, I know you cling to my every word. So I don't even have to repeat it, but there's a couple of visitors here today. So I'll repeat it for them, okay? Last week, God promised Abraham and Sarah that God would give them descendants, land, and a blessing. And descendants were really protection. We're really seen as protection. Land is really seen as prosperity. And blessing is really seen as joy. These three promises are the whole foundation of the Old Testament, a building block for the New Testament and the heart and soul of the Jewish people even today. Today's reading is several generations removed from Abraham and Sarah. The story is about Joseph, the son of Jacob, and Jacob is the son of Isaac, and Isaac is the only son of Abraham and Sarah. Behind the story is the more famous story, the one that actually made it to Broadway, okay? Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Joseph is beaten up by his brothers, sold into slavery, and sent into a foreign land to live with foreign people. With God's favor, Joseph finds a small place of success in the rather bleak situation. So as we listen to this text, we need to hear these events as they take place with the three promises in the background. And God's, um, and Joseph, as we think about this, in this descendants, this land, and this blessing, we need to remember that Joseph is betrayed by family and sold into a foreign land. The betrayal removes Joseph from the land God promised, And finally, it's hard to see slavery and prison as any sort of a blessing. And despite all of this, we will hear again and again in the story, God was with Joseph. So let us listen to Genesis chapter 39. When Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief officer, the commander of the royal guard on royal guard and an Egyptian, purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, served in his Egyptian master's household. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful. Potiphar thought highly of Joseph, and Joseph became his assistant. He appointed Joseph head of his household and put everything he had under Joseph's supervision. From the time he appointed Joseph head of his household and of everything he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. The Lord blessed everything he had, both in the household and in the field, so he handed over everything he had to Joseph and didn't pay attention to anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Sometime later, his master's wife became attracted to Joseph, and she said, sleep with me. He refused and said to his master's wife, with me here, my master doesn't pay attention to anything in his household. He's put everything he has under my supervision. No one is greater than I am in his household, and he hasn't denied me anything except you, since you are his wife. How could I do this terrible thing and sin against God? Every single day she tried to convince him, but he wouldn't agree to sleep with her or even to be with her. 
One day, when Joseph arrived at the house to do his work, none of the household's men were there. She grabbed his garment, saying, Lie down with me. But he left his garment in, his ha- in her hands and ran outside. When she realized that he had left, when, he re- when she realized that he had left his garment in her hands and run outside, she summoned the men of the house and said to them, Look, my husband brought us a Hebrew to ridicule us. He came to me to lie down with me, but I screamed. When he heard me raise my voice and scream, he left his garment with me and ran outside. She kept his garment with her until Joseph's master came home, and she told him the same thing. The Hebrew, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us to ridicule me, came to me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When Joseph's master heard this thing that his wife told him, this is what your servant did to me, he was incensed. Joseph's master took him and threw him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were held. While he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal to him. He caused the jail's commander to think highly of Joseph. The jail's commander put all of the prisoners in the jail under Joseph's supervision, and he was the one who determined everything that happened there. The jail's commander paid no attention to anything under Joseph's supervision because the Lord was with him and made everything he did successful. So we had a children's and families um, worship service on Friday night. And I said, oh, that's great. I'll just use my sermon for Sunday for the kids. Bad decision. Had to go to something else. (laughs) Um, We gather in this sanctuary each Sunday to be renewed in faith, to find some spiritual food to sustain our weary souls when we depart from this place and spend the next six days coping with the burdens and blessings of the outside world. Ultimately, what it means is we come here to find hope in the midst of hopelessness, love in the midst of anger, and joy to pull us out of sadness. With these expectations, it's extremely difficult to read a text like this as though we are not already bombarded with stories of human manipulation. This is supposed to be a place to come to get away from that type of stuff. Sometimes ancient stories collide with the modern world and change the nature of worship. This story does not play well in the modern age. The victim in our story is an attractive, successful male immorally seduced by a woman. Yes, because we know Attractive, successful, mid-management males are one of the most oppressed groups in the world today. This week, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks basketball team, billionaire Mark Cuban, was given a very serious lecture, a very serious lecture about his office, his organization's office, Um, behaviors and allegations of harassment and violence towards female employees within the organization. The stories that were reported about the behavior of mid-management male personnel in that office made junior high boys look mature. It was completely disturbing. If you are one of those people who thinks the world has become too politically correct, 
you are sorely and radically mistaken. If that weren't not enough, the lead story this past week was Christine Blaisley Ford coming forward with her experience of sexual assault by Supreme Court candidate Judge Brett Kavanaugh. We know, because we have seen it before, she will be paraded in front of a panel of older males who will rip her story apart and her life apart. They will treat her as though she has something to gain from the experience, as though telling your story in public is like winning the lottery. We also have dueling stories emerging out of Iowa. One of a young woman, Molly Tibbetts, killed while jogging by some random male attacker. Another young woman, Cecilia Barquin Arizamina, killed on a golf course by another random male killer. Women cannot even do ordinary mundane activity without being at physical risk in our culture. The president will blame immigrants, Democrats, conspiracy mongers, and offer solutions like building more walls and prisons, except we already have more people locked up than any other nation, and the problem still exists. The president's opponents will lash out as well, looking for a source of, both will look for a source to blame and to charge, but little change will happen. They, and hopefully we, we just want it to stop. At some point, the conversation will change in a spiritual house that looks at these kinds of things. People seeking a sanctuary will turn from the question, why are people this way, to the question, how could God let this happen? And that would be a legitimate question. How can we talk about God as a source of protection when God can't even protect, offer protection for the things like this? Perhaps I've ruined your Sunday. Perhaps we should not talk about these things and just talk about Joseph and his ability to keep smiling in the face of injustice. But there would be something disingenuous about that. We cannot read a story like this and pretend it shines a light on a past problem when we have solved in the modern world. And remember, we still have these three promises of God standing behind the modern story and the ancient one. If God is going to bless people with protection and land and blessing, how could God let this happen? To Joseph, to Christine, to Celia, to Molly. Luther Seminary professor Greg Kester made the observation, how could God let this happen? It stands in the forefront of the absolute entire story of Joseph, and the story never even answers the question. Instead, instead, he says, the story free frames the question to a statement. And that statement is, it happened. It just happened. Bad things happen. And this statement forms a new question. Where can God go from there? God is the one that promised, and all of the promises have been broken in the story of Joseph. Just like promises were made to every living being, where can God go with our lives when the promises get broken? And this is where the line, God was with Joseph, becomes important. Even though violence and manipulation was swirling all around Joseph, God was with Joseph. 
God will lead Joseph's family down to Egypt to be reunited and reconciled. God will send Moses to lead the people back to the land. God will grant them a king. God will send them a savior. God will send them prophets and disciples and servants to love the people back into wholeness. Human beings are the language of God. God uses each one of us to protect, to bless, to help find prosperity. We are not called to sit passively aside waiting for some supernatural force to descend from on high to solve our problems. We are let out into difficult waters to be hope, to be love, and to be joy for the world. When I worked with fractured children from violent backgrounds, one of the things that I had to do was treat teach kids from more secure backgrounds, from loving, affirming backgrounds, how to work with these kids. Typically, the kids that would come to us were on fire and faith. And they were coming from the Midwest where they had sit-down Bible studies and they would, they would sit there and they would expect the kids to sit quietly and patiently while they went through the Bible. When you're working with at-risk populations, they don't do that kind of stuff. They swear at you. They move around. You have to dodge things every once in a while. They're throwing things at you. What we teach them, what we teach them is I want you to understand your proclaiming the gospel to them will be in how you love them. It will be in how they, um, you interact with them. You are to create for them a secure, safe environment where they will be heard, where they will be loved, and they will be cared for. When there's a fight, you are to reconcile that fight because the place that they come from, fights don't get reconciled. And you will be there to bring people back together. If you do that, that will be the gospel. That will be the hope and the promise that they learn so that when they go home, you cannot change their home environment. You have no power over that. They're going to be here for two weeks and they're going to go home. You have no power to change all those things, but you do have the power to shape those two weeks so that when that child goes home and they think of Jesus Christ, they think of you. When they think of faith, when they think of the Christian faith, they think of those two weeks where they were loved, where they were cared for, where they found joy. If you can do that, that will be the greatest gospel you could ever proclaim. They will say, that was a prosperous time in my life. Last week I told you we are blessed to be a blessing, and this week nothing has changed except the stakes have been raised. Last week Abraham and Sarah were a nondescript couple randomly chosen by God. Today it's the chosen who finds himself endangered, enduring tragedy and suffering. Joseph's story serves to remind us it will not all be clear sailing. And life will be more than just setbacks. We are not completely protected from tragedy. But suffering does not mean God is absent or powerless. It does not mean you are alone. Talk to anyone who has endured tragedy in their life. Those who found new life after a tragedy, they most likely found life in the tender, loving compassion of a neighbor a friend who was willing to walk with them through the shadowy parts of life so that the light might shine again. Only those communities 
who are willing to walk through the ugly parts of life with people can be hope to the suffering. They serve to remind people they are not alone. Like Joseph, God is with them. Communities of faith who choose not to see the difficult parts of life make statements through their silence. They project a form of rejection. Only the unfractured need show up to pray. Ultimately, we need to remember our ministry in this place is not about caring for our needs, but caring for the needs of the world around us. To be a source of healing and renewal for those walking through the shadowy parts of life, then intending the needs of others, we will actually find healing ourselves. A Christian sanctuary is not a peaceful garden cut off from the suffering of the world, as though a sanctuary provides protection from the outside world. We take our lead from Christ, who chose to enter the fragmented world to heal it. We worship to be reminded of a promise of prosperity, but the prosperity we're promised is more valuable than gold. It is life, it is joy, it's hope and promise. It is the promise, no, the reality that God is with us through every stage of life. And this promise leads us out into the world with confidence to be a blessing for those in desperate need of life. Amen. I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry, all who dwell in darkest sin, my hand will save. I who made the stars of night, I will make their darkness bright, who will bear my light to them, whom shall I have heard.
Till their hearts be satisfied.